Hi everybody and welcome to Robcast number 14. And this one is called, You Are Always With Me and Everything I Have Is Yours. Which, I think is the longest title yet. So we'll see if that fits on that little line there on the podcast description. But that's what this one is called. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. And I want to take you deep into the heart of this phrase and what it means and why it's so transformed my life. And um, hopefully it'll give you some language to explain maybe things that you've experienced. So before we get into this, before we get into today's Robcast, a couple things. Mid-June, June 15, 16, I'm doing an event with Peter Rollins and Vicki Beeching and Pete Holmes and Carlton Cuse and Kristen Bell, and we're doing a whole event, event surrounding growth. What does it mean to learn, to evolve, to become a, a new person? And what happens when you're growing and changing and seeing things that the people around you maybe aren't seeing those same things? Um, sometimes it's lonely isn't it? And so what we're doing is an event to get everybody together and to talk about these exact issues. And one of my goals is simply that you would see at this event, hey, I'm not alone. Um, So that's the middle of June. And then this one's big for me. Big announcement here. Warning. Um, In 2006, I did my first tour. It was called Everything is Spiritual. And it was about quantum physics and Hebrew poetry, and um, I had this giant whiteboard made, I think it was 24 feet across, and I went around, probably came to your city. We did, I think we did 25 American cities in a month, um, did a city a day, basically, and then we made a film called Everything is Spiritual, and it was just, for me, it was like one of the great, one of the highlights of everything I've gotten to do, and so for years, I've lived with this... Um, sort of this quiet hope that at some point I'd have the next uh, sort of insights, the next content, the next thing that was like, wait, this is uh, another round of everything is spiritual. And then about a year ago, I started working on everything is spiritual uh, part two. And then I started to realize, wait, this is this, this content, this is it, but it's going to need a completely different kind of whiteboard. And, um, so today I get to tell you that this summer is going to be the Everything is Spiritual 2015 tour. All new content, new ideas, new drawings, and of course, new whiteboard. And I'm going to be on the road for about five weeks. We're going to go to pretty much, not, I was going to say every American city, but we're going to turn it into a world tour and we're going to go lots of places. But in July and August, we're going to do America. And uh, so I'm coming to your place. And with, and you can call it Everything Spiritual Part 2 if you've seen Part 1, um, because that's what it is. And the first two dates are now, um, you can get tickets for those. We're going to start in L.A. at the end of June. I'm going to be at the Regent for a two-night run. And then early July, we'll kick things off in San Diego and go around the country. So this is the official Everything is Spiritual announcement. And I'm just, well, as you probably figured this out, I'm really, really, really excited about it. I've got things I cannot wait to share, but I'm going to need a big whiteboard and we need to come to your town to talk about. So those are a couple things going on. This morning, I am doing this Robcast from a hotel room in Seattle. Um, 
And my, my hotel is above a Whole Foods, which when you come to Seattle is kind of what you expect, right? And uh, Pete Holmes and I did our two-man show together at last, last night at the Neptune Theater. And then tonight we are in Portland. So um, I was up late greeting people and taking pictures and hugging people and hearing unbelievable stories like it always happens. I get to meet you people and you just amaze me. So if I sound like I have, I almost lost my voice, morning voice, it's because we were at the Neptune till late last night. And then tonight we'll be in Portland. And um, it's just so extraordinary to come out and especially meet many of you who listen to the Robcast and, you know, brothers from other mothers and sisters from different misters. So um, I got a little together at last, uh, still buzzing and get to do it again tonight. And that's just about the greatest joy I can imagine. Now, uh, here's what I want to talk to you today about. I want to talk to you about the difference between transaction and trust. And I want to show you these two different understandings of spirituality. And I want you to see how crucial it is uh, that we understand this distinction and we live, because that's what it really matters, how you live. We live in the one, not the other. And what I want to take you towards is simply this phrase, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, to get into this, there's a story that Jesus tells that has completely transformed the way I see pretty much everything. He tells a story about a man who has two sons. And the one son says to the father, give me my share of the inheritance, which in first century Jewish culture was the most offensive possible thing you could say, because the father only gave out the inheritance when the father died. So essentially, the son is saying, F you, dad, I just want your money. I wish you were dead. And in, in a patriarchal you know, Middle Eastern culture at that time, lack of respect for the father was just, is just like beyond, you just wouldn't even ever see that. So when Jesus tells the story and he begins with the younger son saying to the father, father, I want my share of the inheritance. It's the most shocking, like Jesus, these stories, we don't, we, it's hard in our culture to understand this would be a, like a, I can't even, we don't really have language for a story that's that bizarre and shocking and weird and offensive. And nevertheless, the father in this situation grants the son his request. The son takes his chunk of the money and splits. Um, and by the way, the, the inheritance was divided up among older brother and then any younger brothers. So if the one takes the money early and runs, it means the other gets less of a cut down the road. So it has implications for the other brothers. That will come in handy in a moment. So the sun goes away, and then the sun, uh, he crashes, he hits rock bottom, as we do. Are you with me? Anybody know about that? And he realizes, man, this, this life that I have now, I'd be better off as one of my dad's you know, hired people. So the sun is coming home, and he begins rehearsing his speech to the father. Because he's broken. He's at the end of his rope. And he begins rehearsing his speech, and part of his speech is... I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We each have a story we are telling ourselves about our own worth. Are you with me there? We have, we have a tape that plays in our head, but we have a story, a narrative we are telling ourselves about our story. We each do. That we're unworthy, that we aren't smart, that we aren't thin enough, that we aren't strong enough, that we aren't accomplished enough, 
that so-and-so is better, so-and-so can work harder, so-and-so has more energy, so-and-so is more moral, so-and-so is more disciplined, more upright, whatever it is. We have a story we are telling ourselves about our own worth and value. Sometimes we've been beating ourselves up. Sometimes it is a, it is a story about how unworthy we are. Other times it is a bloated ego story about how awesome we think we are. But we all have a story that we are telling ourselves. The son gets home, and before he can even get into his speech, the father says, get him a robe. Well, that's a sign of sonship. That's a sign that he belongs. So when he returns home, the father has a different story about him. The father says, my son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. The father has a different narrative about who the son is. And in the father's eyes, this is my boy. Now, the younger son then in that moment has a decision. Do I trust my version of my story? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Or do I trust the father's version of my story, which is kill a fattened calf, let's party, put a robe on this boy, this is my boy. Does he trust, does he cling to his version of his story, or does he trust his father's version of his story? Now, the older brother sees all of this going on, and he is seriously hacked off. He wants nothing to do with this party. He comes and begins to essentially present his case to the dad, like, what are you doing? And... Then you find out his own bitterness. You never even gave me a goat so I could party with my friends. Which, a goat is sort of a meager, doesn't have a lot of meat on it. So even when he talks about what it would be like for him to party, it's like, you can't even give me a goat. The older brother basically makes his case, I've been here the whole time playing the good son, and now this other son of yours who's squandered, who doesn't even, can't even say his name, by the way. Isn't that interesting? When you're so filled with rage, you can't even say the person's name. You notice how often people say, my ex? They can't even say the person's name. You know you're angry and got issues when you can't say the person's name. Side note, <laughs> tangent, um, but true. So the older brother is mad that the father has thrown this lavish party for the sons coming home. And his premise is, I've worked all of these years for you. Now, think about that. The older brother has a story he's telling about himself as well. See, the younger brother's story is, I am no longer worthy. The older brother's story is, I am your son because of all of these years that I've played by the rules and worked hard. We've seen this before, haven't we? I did it all right. I was moral. I didn't do that and that and that like everybody else did. I suffered in this way for the cause. I've been the good child. I've showed up at all the right times. I've checked all the right boxes. Doesn't that gain me something? See, the older brother, his story is, I am your son. I am your good son because of all the good things. I've been here the whole time doing all the stuff that a good son is supposed to do. See, his story is, I am worthy because of all that I've done. The father tells a different version of his story because the father says, oh man, come on, come on, come on. You 
are always with me, and everything I have is yours. See, what the father does is the father has the father's version of his story, and the father's version isn't, oh yeah, all those years that you stayed home and you did all the work and you were the good son and you were loyal, that didn't earn you being my son. You had that the whole time because you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, in this story that Jesus is telling here, the father is the God character, correct? Let's make that leap, okay? Let's just assume the father is the God character. Of all the lines of dialogue Jesus can put on the lips of the father, the God character, the line that he puts is, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, and a lot of you send in great questions about God and what do we think about God and who is God and, and is God evolving consciousness? Is God a process being? Is God a reality that exists beyond space? And all these various questions we have about God. What is extraordinarily inspiring and helpful for me is of all the lines Jesus could give the God character, that's the line he gives him. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. So whether you believe in God or not, whether you find the whole thing a ridiculous waste of time, whether you have all sorts of baggage from your past about what God is like, to me, an, a beautiful starting point is however you view the divine. Begin, perhaps, try this, begin here with, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. See, each son has his own version of his story. And then the father confronts, in many ways, the father confronts each son with the father's version of his story. In the one case, it's not, no, no, you are not unworthy of me, my son. This is my son. You've always been my son. That's what happens with the younger brother. With the older brother, the father essentially says, wait, did you think that you were earning being my son? You're always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, here's why I go back through the story that I assume perhaps you've heard before. Perhaps you haven't heard it from that perspective. But you and I, we are trusting a story about ourselves. And the reason why this is so unbelievably crucial is for many people, the fundamental way that the spirituality was explained to them was in terms of transaction. Transaction and transactionalism is the idea that somebody has done something for you, namely God has done something for you, and here's what you have to do for God in order to make whatever God has done for you be effective. So in some traditions, God sent Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. So here's what you have to do. You have to believe and live in a certain way. And if you do that, then what Jesus did on the cross for you will be effective for you. And so at the base of the whole thing is there is a transaction. Here is what you have to do so that God will do this for you. And so then the whole thing becomes based around what do I got to do? And sometimes they'll say, no, 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 all you have to do is believe. But those tend to be verbs, don't they? And so what happens is the question becomes, well, have I done enough? Have I done enough this week? Um, is that acceptable? And then each system has to essentially create its own criteria to make sure that the traction, transaction has taken place. You'll find this often in spiritual communities where you'll hear things like, 
Uh, let me think of, oh yeah, Christians don't pray enough. Christians don't read their Bibles enough. Christians don't talk about their faith enough. Christians aren't courageous enough. Christians, have you ever heard a sermon where you basically were beaten up for all the things that you aren't doing? And even though they used lots of Bible verses and God and Jesus talk, underneath it all was a giant example of transactionalism. You are bad, and if you would just do this or this or this, then perhaps things would be better. That's at least the message that you pick up, right? Like almost at a cellular level, that's the message you pick up. There's been a transaction, now you need to do a transaction. You need to make sure that the transaction is actually effective for you. What Jesus is doing in this story, when he tells about these two sons, is he is telling a story about trust. Can you trust that this is who the Father says you are? Now, Perhaps you have an issue with God as a father and not God as a mother or God beyond gender. It's a story. It's an image. Let's just work with it, okay? Beyond God exists obviously beyond language, beyond gender, beyond male, female, etc. But these images can be quite powerful. And in this particular story, the question is, whose version of your story will you trust? See, I would argue that the gospel is not an announcement of all the terrible things about you. The gospel is an announcement of who you are. The gospel is an announcement of your true self. It is good news because it is a giant announcement, a massive reminder of who you are. And you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a child of God. I would argue that the New Testament is an announcement of new identity. People are referred to, you know that the word that people are referred to in the New Testament, they're referred to as saints. It means holy ones. Now, do we still make a mess of things? Of course. Does the good news still include bad news? Of course. You have to leave the old story. And the old story, when you trust the old story, it leads you into all sorts of destructive paths, correct? I don't think we need to argue about that because we're all reading to understand that. The story that you're telling yourself deeply shapes how you live in the world. If you are believe at the deepest core that you are unworthy and tend to act in certain ways that flow out of that. If you believe that universe is ultimately a cold, dark, empty, lonely, nasty place where it is everyone for themselves and you kick and you shout and you throw elbows and you scratch and you do whatever you can to crush others to get ahead, that will tend to shape how you act. But if you believe that there is a divine energy, a divine dance of self-giving love that is the engine of the universe. If you believe that you are a child of God, if we know who we are, the more grounded we are in our true self and our identity, the more we know what to do. There's this great letter in the New Testament called the book of Ephesians. For the first three chapters, the writer, a man named Paul, doesn't tell the people one thing to do. All he does for the first chunk of the letter, the first half of the letter, is tell them who they are. Redeemed. Forgiven. It goes on and on and on telling the people who they are. And then there's this shift partway through the letter where he then starts telling them, now, in light of that, here's what we do. See, if you tell 
who people who they are, there's always the chance that they'll then know what to do. And I would argue that I'm like leaning forward, like this is a secret, like don't, like I'm in my hotel room in Portland going, hey, don't tell anybody, but, but tell everybody, please. I would argue that the real power comes when you announce to people who they actually are. Think about how you are transformed. Are you transformed by long lists of things you aren't? What actually changes your behavior? Because you can make people guilty. You can shame people into all kinds of behavior. You can create fear and get people to do all sorts of things. You can tell people that everybody who doesn't do this is going to burn in hell forever. And especially among young people, you'll get people to act in all sorts of ways. You can tell people that if they don't do this, they'll be cut off and they'll be, God will turn God's back or they'll be, you can tell people lots of things and they'll then go behave differently. It's behavior modification. They'll act differently. But think about it. What actually changes your heart? What transforms your heart so that you live in a new way because you can't imagine living other, any other way? What transforms you is when you are told a new, fresh word about who you are, when you are reminded of your true self, and it fills you with new awareness of your identity. Think about all of those stories. Think about all the Disney stories that are about somebody finding out that they're a prince or a princess. It turns out all along they were a prince and a princess. And what is the struggle of the movie? Them living and conducting themselves in line with their true identity. Why do these sorts of stories, even when they're fantasy and they're ridiculous, why do they tap in to us at such a deep level? Because at some level, we know we belong. At some level, we know that we have been living out of sync, out of step with who we really are. It's deep. It may be buried in you. It may be so far in there you can barely see it. But it's there, be honest. This sense that you were made for more. I cannot tell you the, how many times, I mean, I can't even count how many times, like last night when I'm getting to meet all these people. Pete and I do a meet and greet afterwards. And whenever I talk places, I, I afterwards will talk with whoever whoever's there and wants to say hi. And person after person, I see it in their eyes. I see it in your eyes when I meet you. You know you were made for more. And for so many people, you're beaten down. You've been given all these messages. And sometimes you were given a message by the church. It just added another level of guilt and shame and unworthiness, a whole new list of things you're supposed to do or other people you're supposed to be. And oftentimes, in the name of the gospel, people will tell, were told horror stories, that sermons that just made you feel like crap. The good news will always include the bad news because it will always include an awareness of, wait, look at this story that I've been trusting about myself. It's terrible. I have to leave that story behind. That's the thing happening in the story Jesus tells. The younger son has to let go of the old story, which is I am no longer worthy. And he has to accept the new story. He has to trust, trust, trust. Transaction. Transactionalism says, here's the next thing you got to do. Trust says, 
can you trust that this is actually true about you? It's all you gotta just trust, trust, trust. Now, it will always feel too good to be true. Of course, that's why it's called good news. And that's why it has the power to change your life, to trust. This is especially true when you really, really, really screw up. A woman last night in the second row during the Q&A part said, how do you leave the past behind? It can be really, really difficult to move on, to forgive yourself. And in those moments, more than ever, you have to trust gospel good news. I did that. It is a part of my story. You own it. If you have to make amends with someone, make amends with them. Do whatever you have to do to make peace with that person. But then you trust that even this can be forgiven. Even this can become a part of me and left behind in all of the best, most healthy sorts of ways. Even this story can be integrated into, my, into the whole story of my life because the voice of the divine says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. If you are a pastor, your job is to announce to people who they are. Your job is to go through all those Bible passages that people use to beat people up and read them in a whole new way as a glorious, extraordinary, transcendent, mysterious announcement of who people are. And here's what happens when you never stop telling people who they are. They will naturally begin living in different ways. You do not have to beat people up. What you do is tell them about their true identity. You tell them who they are. And then what we do will make a lot more sense. Because what we do flows out of who we believe we are. The gospel is the extravagant, unexpected, counterintuitive, lavish announcement that everything you've ever been searching for is already here. That everything you ever needed done for you has already been done. So when Jesus says this thing like, it is finished, yes, it is finished. All that primal anxiety that religion gave people over the years about how a divine being somewhere needs to be kept happy, needs more sacrifice, needs more liturgy, needs more. No, no, it's all been taken care of. Can you trust this? Now, there's always the person who's like, yeah, but then people, if they just trust that, they might just sit around. No, when your heart has been transformed by this out of response to this good news, of course you go live differently and do things and move beyond yourself. What else would you do with that sort of love bursting from within you? If you're listening and you have been beating yourself up over what you're not or what you've done in the past, May you be freed from that. If you've had a tape that plays in your head that never stops repeating, I am unworthy to be called your son, I am unworthy to be called your daughter, may you see the divine parent running down the driveway with a cloak to put on your shoulders. And only sons and daughters wear that kind of cloak. May you trust good news, and may it fill you with grace and peace.